Well, good morning and welcome to Sanctus Church Living Live. We're so glad that you're here joining this service as we're living these unprecedented times. Most of us have never lived through anything like this before. It was my grandparents' generation that lived through the Great Depression and lived through the Second World War. They were the last generation that experienced a global moment that affected everyday life in an ongoing way. So for us in this new moment, it's not only new, it's scary. Now, I know thousands of you are tuning in that attend Sanctus Church. Many of you are from other churches in Canada or around the world, and you're most welcome as our brothers and sisters. And of course, there are many guests today and many visitors, and you are also welcome. Now, now last week, I preached on our Christian hope, talking about the new heavens and the new earth and ending our eternity series. But now, today, this morning, I want to turn to our hope, not just in the not yet, but in the now. We're all living with fear now. We're living in a global pandemic now. We're all living through now a global financial crisis, and we're experiencing it now. All of us are either in isolation or quarantine or practicing social distancing, and more and more of us are starting to know people directly affected by this virus. So now the question is, how do we as Christians live well in this time of fear? There is no time for us to dismiss this or downplay this crisis, but we need to ask as Christians, what does it mean to walk with faith in a time of fear? And by the way, if you're a seeker or a skeptic or you're a, name in, you're a Christian in name only, the question for you is, is there real hope in this time of fear? What much of, much of the time we forget is the Bible is written in times of terrible fear. So let me start with the words of Paul, writing actually from jail, now an elderly man, knowing that he might die sooner or later. And what does he write and what does he say? And what does actually he write to a church that itself, 2,000 years ago, was living under persecution. Think about it. Paul was living in some form of social isolation, and the church that he was writing to was under death threat by the government, by family, and former friends. Many in that church were hiding or living on the margins of society. So if anyone can tell us what living well in fear with faith looks like, it's Paul and the church in Philippi. So let's begin with these ancient words that are so relevant right now during this crisis. Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, rejoice. Hear this stirring call, this, this command, this epic rallying cry. Rejoice. Have joy. Do it no matter what you're facing. It was Augustine of Hippo that said the Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. Let me again summarize and remind us of what joy is and actually what it's not. As one person wrote, joy, unmitigated and untrampled joy is, or at least should be, the distinctive mark of a Christian. The wearing of black and long faces, which often later typified the Christian experience, is totally foreign to Paul's teaching. Paul, the theologian of grace, is also called the theologian of joy. Christian joy, listen in, is not a temporal kind of joy, which comes and goes with one's circumstances. Rather, it is predicated altogether on one's relationship with the living Jesus. It finds expression in rejoicing, which is not a Christian option, it's an imperative. So let's watch this. The path to joy in crisis is obedience. Paul says, rejoice. 
do it. The spirit of thanksgiving and celebration will never be around unless there is trust in God, what he's done, what he's doing right now, and what he's going to do. If we ever stop trusting that God is good, or God is in control, or God is holy, or God is love, or God loves us, we will stop rejoicing about the seen and the unseen in the expected and the unexpected. So Sanctus Church, here's lesson one. Rejoice in this time of fear. Rejoice in this time of suffering. Rejoice if you're in isolation. Rejoice if you're in quarantine. Rejoice even if you're in the hospital. Why? Because Jesus is really with us. He promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. We're forgiven. We're loved. We're saved. Eternal life is ours. We have real hope. So Paul says, writing during a time of crisis, rejoice. But he says, not just rejoice, but actually do it with others and show it to others. The next verse he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Gentleness is the word forbearance or graciousness, ready to forgive. Actually, it means the refusal to retaliate. Jesus, of course, modeled this best, and Peter summarized it this way in 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled insults at him, that's Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Let's also not forget that this gentleness doesn't naturally come from us. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So to the original audience, Paul's saying, let's be ready to forgive and not retaliate against those who don't know Jesus or are mistreating us because we love Jesus. But in our time, the application is this. Be gentle even though you're scared. Be gentle when you're actually trying to get food and toilet paper. Be gentle when you're waiting in the hospital. Be gentle as you're waiting for results on the phone. Be gentle at home with your family and kids, and there's not relief or there's not margin. Be gentle to yourself if you're alone. But then we say, well, how? It's not natural. It's not easy. And he says, well, just read a little farther. Why? The Lord is near. This truth is the grounding for what Paul has said and is going to keep saying. We rejoice and and we give thanks and we can be gentle and we can be meek because Jesus is not only with us, but he's coming back. We overcome fear because we know he's coming. We love those that hate us or mistreat us because we know he's coming. We stand in the middle of this pandemic knowing he's going to come back and he is going to make everything right. But again, we sit and we're like, well, honestly, how do I do this? Seriously, this is hard. This isn't natural. Like I said, it's not really me, and I feel stretched. Now, the original audience was asking the question, how do I not only forgive people in the church I've argued with? You can read that through Philippians, especially chapter 4. But how do I actually love people who are mocking me and attacking me because uh, I love Jesus and they don't? That was their question. And the question we're wrestling with is, how do we not let fear win now? Well, after you choose to rejoice... And remind yourself that Jesus actually is really coming back. And he's going to make all things right. Then Paul says, in the time of fear and in the time of crisis, pray. He says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
Now, anxiety is expressed in so many different ways. And I love when one author broke it down in four simple ways. And I'd love you to even write this down because I think this might help you. Worry, he writes, is that something might happen to you, but you're not sure. Stress is strain over a situation you can't control. Fear is that uneasiness, that danger or evil or pain might touch you. And darkness is fear experienced. It's actually when darkness, evil, or pain does touch you. Now, depending on who you are and where you live in the world, no matter what situation you're in, we would all agree during this global pandemic, we're experiencing at least one or two of those. Some of us are feeling three of them, and some of us are experiencing even the fourth. And let me remind you, Paul was experiencing these things, and so was his original audience. So what do we do? And Paul says, since Jesus is near and he's going to come back, thank God for what he's done. Thank God for what he's doing. Thank God for what he's going to do. And in the face of real anxiety and mistreatment and fear, pray to God with petition and thanksgiving. Now, petitions are actually sitting with God and in detail telling him what you want. I love it. It was the famous Baptist uh, Victorian preacher Spurgeon that said, whether you like it or not, asking is the rule of our kingdom. So just stop today, tomorrow, this week, and say, list out all the things you need to say directly to God. What do you need to say about the world? What do you need to pray for our country? What do you need to pray for your family, for yourself, for your mental health, for your neighbors, for your friends, for your finances? Petition God directly. Don't be ashamed. But don't just ask him for things. Be filled with and ground your prayer in thanksgiving. Recall God's mercy. Recall what God has done in the past. Remember his love. Remember what he's doing right now. Remember what he's promised in the future. Remember, thanksgiving is expressing joy to the Lord. It's thanking God for his faithfulness, his protection, his benefit, and most importantly, for the crystal clear and certain future of the resurrection and Jesus making all things right. But remember why this is important. As another said, lack of thanksgiving or lack of gratitude is the first step towards idolatry. Thanksgiving, one wrote, is an explicit acknowledgement of our frail humanness and our dependence, a recognition that everything we have comes as a gift. It's the verbalization before God of his goodness and his generosity. If prayer's petition indicates our absolute trust and dependence on God, then when you tie petition with thanksgiving, it puts both prayer and our lives in the proper perspective. So he says, We should pray in the good times, but especially in the fearful times. And we should pray about every circumstance. And we should couple those petitions with thanksgiving. And then Paul gives us a promise that's applicable to every generation and every season. He says, after you do these things, not before, after, then the peace we are so desperate to have will come. Verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all of your understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is not talking about the peace we get between us and God through salvation, the work of Jesus, that right standing. That foundation allows us to get this peace. As another person wrote, this is an inner sense of contentment supplied by God. So basically, Paul says, in times of difficulty and fear, work out your troubles even with other Christians because Jesus is working with you. Be gentle to those that attack you because Jesus is working in you. Be gentle to everyone around you because Jesus is working in you. Don't be consumed by fear or worry because Jesus is working in you. 
Oh, but then Paul goes farther. Then he says, like, stop, look up, and look around, and don't only just see God, but also ground yourself in his word and his work. And then he says, and even see the beauty that's found in the midst of fear and sickness. All around you, he says, there are not just echoes of Edens. There are foreshadows of what's going to come. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Okay, ready? Before you turn on Twitter, before you're actually on Instagram, before you watch another whole round of 24-hour news, stop and do this. Now, what did Paul mean when he gave us this amazing list? Well, truth for Paul is narrowly understood who God is and what God commands. It's connected to the scriptures, specific revelation, his word. So is what is noble, sacred, holy, sanctified, majestic. So is right and pure, the moral law of God, like the Ten Commandments. All those statements are about be in the scriptures. Ah, but then Paul does something so brilliant. Paul goes further to push us to see the world through God's eyes. He says, think also and look on what is lovely and admirable. This is what theologians call common grace. God's fingerprints are all around us in our world. Yes, this world has fallen. Yes, it's marred. Yes, it's depraved, but it's not utterly depraved. Much of what we see in nature and even in our friends and neighbors who don't know Jesus, we can still see the fingerprints of God. There are excellent and praiseworthy things in culture. And Paul was teaching and is teaching us now that as things get darker and more scary and more difficult, don't run. Don't just see evil and fear. See God specifically and generally. Again, thinking about Paul's original audience, here's what one person wrote. He said, perhaps Paul knows that since the Philippians are being persecuted by a society around them, they will be tempted to reject everything outside of the church is tainted with evil. And if so, then this list, with his admonition to look for the virtue in the wider world, reminds the Philippians and us that sometimes though society seems hostile or evil, it's still part of God's world and contains much good the believer can affirm. So again, how do I do this? Well, he's saying we need to read the scriptures. We need to make sure that God's word and his promises and his statements have more power than fear. Read scripture before you go on social media. Read scripture before you interact with anything else. But then he says, not just scripture. Look to nature. Look to your neighbors and even see even there in brokenness there's good. I must see the good even in the midst of panic. This happened to me a few days ago when our province continually started shutting things down and it got more and more scary. My kids and I went for a walk and it was so bizarre. I was walking by the lake and no one was there, just us. And I remember seeing this robin, uh, overweight, not because I think it had eaten too much. I think it might have been a female pregnant, ready to have babies, lay eggs. And I just saw that there, and I saw this robin singing at the top of its lungs, and the sun came out, and I went, oh, there's still beauty here. Spring is here. There still is goodness, not only because Jesus is in me, but I can see life and light. Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Do this, and the God of peace will be with you. 
So he says, you go back and read and listen and do what I've just asked you to do. And that is connected to peace. Let me say this again. If you don't do the things Paul just asked you to do, the peace won't come. Love is connected to joy and love and joy is connected to obedience. And then he says, the God of peace will be with you. God will show up and he is your peace if you're a Christian. Peace will come because the Holy Spirit lives within you. He'll give you and provide you peace. God is with you, he'll comfort you, and he'll give you joy. Remember, joy is not something you grasp or plan for. And again, it's another fruit of the Spirit. And never forget that peace in the Spirit is always connected to our living, ongoing relationship with God through Jesus. So he says, rejoice, be honest about your fear, pray specifically, be gentle, and God's peace will show up right now. Oh, but by the way, that's only one way we walk and live well in this time of fear. See, there's more. We can have real faith in this time of fear because our hope is found in the resurrection. Resurrection is not protection, but resurrection, oh, it's real promise. I wrote this a few Easter's ago. If Jesus did not physically rise from the dead, he might have only been a good man or a prophet maybe a political revolutionary, or maybe even the most profound religious figure in history. Maybe he got killed for standing up against the establishment. Or as C.S. Lewis said, maybe he was a liar or crazy or, or something worse. Maybe he was the devil, or maybe he was who he claimed. But if he did physically rise from the dead, oh, it changes everything. Tim Keller, a pastor from New York, wrote, if Jesus uh, rose from the dead, you have to accept all he said. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, don't worry about anything he said. Here's again what I wrote a few Easter's ago. If Jesus rose from the dead, atheism is answered. If Jesus rose from the dead, agnosticism resolved. If Jesus rose from the dead, every single religion and spiritual worldview must reevaluate itself and change its core. If Jesus rose from the dead, death is answered and we know what actually lies beyond the grave because someone came back. If Jesus rose from the dead, the human family does not need to ask, who is God? What is he like? Is he involved? If Jesus rose from the dead, then you can see God and meet God. If Jesus rose from the dead, then there can be purpose in your life more than money or sex or beauty or power or being moral or even farther than religion. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then the coffin or the cremation fire is not the end of you. See, death is not the end of the story. As one great theologian once wrote, resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I receive, I now pass on to you as first importance, that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Jesus took our place because of our sin. He was buried, and then Jesus did not stay dead. Unlike all the others who have died, he's the only one who came back from the other side and stayed undead. Not 15 seconds on some operating table, seeing some light and then coming back. Not some form of scam, not looking dead, but having some medical miracle through resuscitation. No, no, three days, literally dead, dead, dead. And then 
really alive. Jesus has conquered death, and that is our hope personally and corporately if you're a Christian and you belong to the true global church of Jesus because if you've trusted in Jesus, he says just like he rose from the dead, we also will rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians 7.14, by his power, God raised Jesus from the dead and he will raise us also. The resurrection of Jesus proves you matter. The resurrection of Jesus proves your body matters, proves that God is not done with you, proves our bodies will even last forever. Your body, I preached a few Easter's ago, is stamped for resurrection. It is part of God's plan to make all things right. See, we're not New Agers or Buddhists. We don't confess the immortality of the soul. We confess the foreverness of the whole person. And, and so we, even during this global pandemic, cry out and with confidence confess what we find in the Apostles' Creed. Yes, we believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. It was N.T. Wright that simply wrote, the message of resurrection is that this world matters. John, why are you talking about resurrection right now? Let me tell you. The resurrection and its hope is the gospel played out in the darkest and most painful of times. Paul, in one of his earliest letters, said this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. We don't deal with fear. We don't even deal with death. We don't even grieve the same as our neighbors and friends, because we actually have hope. And we must live in and under and with that hope again and again. We can show and confess and share and point out that that famed theologian was right where the worst thing isn't the last thing. So don't leave all your fear outside of your relationship with God or your pain or your sin or your sickness. Bring it all to Jesus and see all of its power and all of its hold and all of its reality pale in the light of the resurrection of Jesus. And as I preached last week, and as we prepare to celebrate Easter in a way we have never done before, never forget what Jesus is going to establish. Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things has passed away. So the God of peace is with us now. We can pray now. We can rejoice and be thankful now. We can be gentle to all now. The resurrection is real and true. So in times where the shadow of death is around us and we're realizing how frail and here today and gone tomorrow we are, we still can stand with full faith. And this leads me as one of your pastors to share one last critical thing in this moment of living in fear well with faith. What does it mean as a Christian to love our neighbors in this time of fear and panic? In the second century, the world was struck by what was later called the Antonian Plague. It was believed that this pandemic was introduced by Roman soldiers returning from Syria. Five million people died. In the following century, another plague, the Plague of Cyprian, came. It spread in the known world, the Roman world, from Africa. It was transmitted person to person by physical contact, and half the people that encountered that disease, they died. It was said that during each of those pandemics, government officials and the wealthy fled to the countryside and left the cities to die. Who stayed behind intentionally? Only one group, Christians, who in this time period themselves were being persecuted by the government. And instead of hiding or staying in the shadows, they rose to the challenge. One bishop 
thinking about the efforts of our great-great-grandparents spiritually said, most of our Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in the name of Jesus. And even with them departed this life happily. For they themselves were infected by others with the disease, drawing upon themselves the sickness of their neighbors and even accepting cheerfully the pain. Now, why would they even do that? They did it because they actually believed the resurrection was true. They did it because they wanted to be the Good Samaritan. They did it because they actually wanted to love their neighbor as Jesus had taught them to. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is critical. I'm not saying we should ignore all our health officials at all. No, no. Hear me clearly. We should take every precaution to stop this virus. It matters. Both of these historic examples were done before hospitals as we know them actually existed. Much of the hospital movement we know today was started by our movement through charity. What I'm trying to point out is this. We are called to love our neighbors like we never have before and to show them that fear doesn't win. Resurrection affects how we live in our now and resurrection affects how we live in our coming not yet. I mean, we see this in the very first blueprint and expression of the early church. We preach on this all the time, Acts 2.44, and all the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling possessions and goods they gave to any person who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. At this time, large worship gatherings are happening just after the resurrection of Jesus. 3,000 plus people are singing and praying right in the temple, proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Now in 2020, we can do this amazingly through technology, virtually. As I am speaking, thousands of people in Durham, in the GTA, in Canada, and around the world are meeting right now, just like we did 2,000 years ago. We must continue to celebrate big together. But we must also continue to love our neighbor by staying small together, connecting small together, being in our connect groups. And we can do this face-to-face through technology also. But do you notice, it wasn't just the gathering of Christians. One of the greatest evidences of the spontaneous outpouring of the Holy Spirit was generosity. When God moves in his church, even in difficult times, money and time is the place where his work is evidenced most. Faith moved the original church to give not just to Christians, but to anyone who had need. This is the time that we as Christians must be profoundly generous. We need to be generous to our own church to keep going. We need to do this well. We are now intaking and dealing with hundreds of requests to make sure people are okay, praying with them and financial needs, etc., Also, we need to be generous to anyone outside of the church to help them too. And by the way, if you're listening from another church, you need to be profoundly generous to your church and to your neighborhood. Hoarding is never Christian. Racism in any form is never Christian. Social distancing, yes, but we should be giving and being generous in a way we never have seen before. This is how we witness to a world that will be more and more guarded and could in panic begin to hide and turn on each other. And what does Luke actually say that these Christians look like? Their life and their character. Well, they were glad and sincere, thankful, had unity, 
absence of pretense, open-hearted, generous, not even marked by jealousy, bitterness, or, or, or any sort of division. And they were praising God and enjoying the favor of, notice, Christians? No, no, all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. I don't know if you have had time to slow down as the markets are crashing, as it seems the infection rates are going up, as borders are closing. But in this terrible global moment, this is allowing the church to shine in a way we never thought four weeks ago. Hundreds of millions of Christians went to church on Sunday online for the first time. Millions of connect groups, small groups, care groups went virtual overnight. You know that we're serious about Alpha in this church and helping people explore their faith well. Alpha globally went online in the last 48 hours. Story after story, we're seeing church after church in North America, in Europe, in Africa, in Asia. They're stepping out and helping neighbor and friend very practically. In this moment of crisis, we must care for people physically, emotionally. Give food or money to those who need it. We need to be offering prayer. One of the most significant things as a Christian you can do is reach out to all of your Christian and non-Christian friends and say virtually, may I pray for you. People are scared. People are being undone. Beauty, wealth, and power no longer had the power they did four weeks ago. Religion is not filling the void. Spirituality has no answers. And in this moment, we should be kind and gentle and sincerely give the good news of Jesus that transcends this moment. How do we respond, Sanctus Church? How do we respond if you're from another church and you're a Christian? Here's what we are commanded to do, invited to do in the scriptures. Number one, rejoice. Start today being thankful and not just, oh, in some mindless way. No, say, God, I am thankful for and begin to say it out loud. Number two, pray and be mindful that we are all called to be gentle. Number three, Remember, no matter how things go, financially, emotionally, or even physically, Jesus is going to return and make everything right. Number four, pray with requests. Be specific with God. He's listening. He, his, his, his ears are open. He's with you in the room. And be thankful. Ask for the peace of God that actually doesn't make sense to the world, but you have access to because the Holy Spirit's in you. Remember, The resurrection of Jesus is true. It's stronger than sickness. It's stronger than death. It's stronger. That's the real hope we hold out as Christians. Keep on meeting together. Like what we're doing right now, no matter what this looks like in one week or two weeks or four weeks, this is actually the time to make Celebrate Big even more significant than you have before. And let me encourage you, as we saw last week, thousands of people attended online, not just from our church, but all around the world. Share this link. Tell people to gather big so they can hear about hope. Let us make this uh, a non-negotiable. And I know some of you are gonna show up for church late, even though it's virtual, fine. Roll out of bed and still come to church. But also, it is so imperative that we connect small. Virtually, you need to reach out with your connect group. Pray together, talk together, encourage each other. Be generous to the church and be generous to everyone else and share the good news of Jesus. And lastly, many of you, because we've even heard stories in the last seven days, many of you are joining us virtually now and you have never been in a church building in your life. You were in a church building 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and you've walked far away. 
Some of you are tuning in and you're spiritual or agnostic or atheist or you're from another background or another faith. So let me just say this to you. And not in a manipulative way because it's a dangerous time. I'd say this in the best of times too. Do you want peace that passes understanding? Do you want peace between you and God? And do you want peace no matter what happens to you physically in the next 10 weeks or 30 weeks or three years? Do you want to experience no fear? Do you want to not have panic consume you? Do you actually want reassurance that no matter what happens to you, death does not have the final say? Do you want to be able to grieve differently than your friends or neighbors? Do you want life? Do you want eternal life? Do you want resurrection? Then humble yourself. So many of you watching trusted in your wealth. It's disappearing. You trusted in your beauty or your job or your family or your background. Some of you trusted in your own religiosity and being diligent or good or in your spirituality or being mindful. None of that lasts. The only thing that lasts is the person of Jesus who came back from the dead and has dealt with all the issues we're facing at this moment. So humble yourself and say, Jesus, I need you to save me, to give me peace. And this is what Paul wrote. If you want to do this, Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, Jesus is who he claims, and you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him physically from the dead, you will be saved. This is how you come home. So wherever you are, uh, listening in a car, uh, in a living room, in a basement, on, no matter what device you're on, uh, if you can, would you stand? And all around the world, we're going to pray together. So let's just do this together. Number one, thank you at this moment, God, that you're here, that you're with us, that you've never left us. You're going to never leave us. You're never going to forsake us. I pray that you would help our church learn how to rejoice, to be gentle, to be connected to you in your word, to hear your promises, to do all the things you ask us to do. And we really do pray that the peace of God that passes understanding would fill every person who loves Jesus who's listening. Uh, we pray that the truth of the resurrection would take hold of us. Uh, we, we pray right now we would love ourselves and God and our neighbor well. Lord, in this time of crisis, help us not to panic or fear or grieve like others, but let us walk in our most holy faith given to us. And other of, others of us who have never met you, just want to say this, God, I, I've never met you through Jesus, not really. So I humble myself now. So much uh, chaos and loss, and I just want to say, Jesus, I say yes. I believe you are who you claimed. You're the son of God. I believe you died. I believe you rose from the dead. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins, come into my life and give me peace. Help me to see fear leave. Help me to know that death doesn't win and the resurrection is true. I now become your child uh, in Jesus' name. Thanks God for what you're doing. Thanks for what you're going to do. Father and son, send the Holy Spirit all around the world to bring the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God in this most scary time. Thank you, God, that love wins always in the end.